Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And I want to teach briefly about Mary, the mother of Jesus. I could also call this the benefits of having a godly mother. We'll just title this Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I just want to make a few remarks about a mama, a few remarks about some attributes that we find in the life of Mary. Matthew 1, beginning with verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Look now at verse 24. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, for the next few moments, we're taking the time to minister about some of the characteristics we find in Mary. We're grateful for every woman that's in this place right now, for every girl that's in this place. Our prayer, Lord, is that the same qualities that we talk about over the next few moments would also be manifested in our ladies. I pray, God, that your Son would be magnified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and everyone said, Amen, Amen. We all understand that the birth of a child is a time of excitement and joy, but we also know that certain holidays don't always bring the kind of happiness that other holidays do. Sometimes Mother's Days are bittersweet for some ladies. They may have lost a child. They may have buried a child. Sometimes a tragedy could have taken place. But having had the benefit of being a mom, that should keep a smile on someone's face. When I look at the story of Jesus and all the circumstances related to his birth, verses 18 through 24 revealed to us that an angel had appeared to Joseph. We already know from the Gospel of Luke that an angel had appeared to Mary and told her that she would have a baby. She said, how can this happen? I've never been with a man. And that angel let her know the Spirit of God would come upon her and she would conceive. So the first thing I want to bring out about Mary and her relationship with Joseph was the fact that they had this idea of conception. Once the angel told Mary, she believed. She knew that with God all things were possible. Joseph, on the other hand, was somewhat skeptical. He didn't really know that this was God. In fact, when he found out his fiancée was pregnant, he thought she had stepped out on him. And this is why in chapter 1 of Matthew, the angel of the Lord comes to him in order to reaffirm what Mary has already told him. 
So Mary and Joseph needed to be in unity about having this baby. And that's a very important thing for a mom and a dad, for a husband and wife to be in unity about the coming of that child into this world. We know from Galatians 1.15 that the Apostle Paul says it was God's plan to separate me from my mother's womb that the grace of Jesus would be revealed in me. That means that every baby that is conceived has purpose attached to his or her life. And Jeremiah is the one that heard the Lord say to him that I knew you before you ever were formed in your mother's womb. In God's mind, there are no accidents when it comes to us little people. Sometimes the circumstances of a child's conception may not be favorable to what the Scripture says. But even a child that's been born out of the result of sin can still come into this world and be a faithful witness for the king. There's no doubt. I've met people who have had some of these unfavorable circumstances. And by that, I mean they were so bad in the conception that it affects the child when they're growing up, knowing that maybe mama was raped. I've met people before who, who can say that their mother was their sister. You think about that. Abuse. And people who are conceived and born in circumstances like that very often have a difficult time reconciling the idea that there is a God, that there is a path for their life, that God could ever do anything for them because they don't have any value because of how they came about. And the shock and the shame of Mary being pregnant was something that Joseph couldn't deal with. It was difficult for him, but the angel of the Lord came to him and changed his mind in a few moments in a dream. Anyone that is born into this world has an opportunity to be a tool in the kingdom of God if they come to know God. And you can change anybody's beliefs and perceptions about themselves if you can get them to understand what the Bible teaches. Whatever you think about yourself today, you may not think you're the most handsome, you may not think you're pretty or beautiful, but here's what the Bible says about you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you know that, that should change everything about your attitude to life. And this is why a mom is important, because a mom can help put that in a daughter. A mom can help put that in a son. You know, with the, the little kids, you know, I often say to the, 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 the little girls, hey, beautiful, things like that. Because one thing that, that, that people need to hear is that they are someone that has the favor of God upon their life. And a lot of people, just they don't get that. They don't get any kind of positive affirmation at all from family, and sometimes they don't get it from friends. But with Mary and Joseph, the idea of conception changed their life, and they were in unity about having this baby. Currently, of course, there's always there, there are arguments today on the television and on radio about what, People think the Supreme Court is 
going to do, and any time the, the topic of infanticide comes up, it becomes controversial. But folks, let me remind you of something. It says in Ecclesiastes, I believe chapter 11, that it is God who causes the bones to grow in a mother's womb. This isn't an argument about whether or not you're pro-life or pro-choice. It's an argument about whether or not you believe in the purpose of God attached to the life of that child. I've had plenty of discussions with people about abortion, and they get offended at me if I say it's not a matter of being pro-choice. I'm pro-life. You're not pro-choice. You're actually pro-death because you honestly believe you should have the right to take the life of that child. Nobody should tell me what to do with my own body, I hear people say. But I say, I know you don't believe that because the government and other people tell you what to do all the time with your body. But yet, when it comes to something of this magnitude, we, we think that the extinguishing of a life is a safer situation. And some people even portray it as though it's a form of birth control. It's not a form of birth control. If you don't want to have a child, don't do the things that create a child. That's all. And I'm glad that Mary and Joseph were in unity about this because I've seen the struggle that happens with so many couples when they're trying to decide what to do. Here is a man that doesn't want the baby, but she wants the baby. So she has it. Then sometimes there's a lady who doesn't want to have the baby, and, and, and he wants it. And there's division. But you can see here that these two parties wanted this child. So Mary had the child, and if you go to Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we read where she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. What do we learn here? We learned that Mary was with her baby in that manger. She didn't have wealth. She didn't have affluence. There was no money involved. They couldn't even get a room in a hotel in ancient times. It was packed. And they didn't have any influence. Otherwise, if they would have come from a powerful clan or family, they would have had a better place than a manger. But even a manger, a child can find love and security if being held by mama. Being held by mama. A manger is a good place to be for someone that, that has a mama that loves them. Sometimes we forget the babies have been born in this earth for thousands of years. It didn't just start last week. But for thousands of years, mothers have been looking after their kids. And ladies, every baby that's born into this world isn't always born into wealth. Some kids come into this world and mom and dad don't have a whole lot of money. I've seen it where very often when you have the first child, they're usually less resources than when you have the last child, because through time you've accumulated things. And sometimes the older kids are angry somewhat at the younger ones because they say, well, they have more than we had when we were little. That's because the circumstances changed as mom and dad experienced promotion and blessing. 
But even in a manger, love filled the manger, and Mary loved that baby. And I'm sure when she held that child in her hands, her affection for that child was as great as when you held your baby in your hands, looking into the face of that little kid. Sometimes lives change when that occurs. Some men that have had a problem with the bottle turn away from the bottle because they don't want that kid to become what they are. Little things begin to happen. And it can happen in a manger. It doesn't have to happen in a palace. It could be in a one-room house. If you think about it, some of you that are older and you can still remember or have heard stories you listen to kids complain today about not having enough room, not having their own bedroom, and yet some of you never had your own bedroom growing up, ever. But yet God loved you, God blessed you. And that place which might have seemed like a confining manger was still a safe haven for you because you had love in that place. Well, when this baby was born... After a few short days, in Luke chapter 2, you can see in verse 21, they took the child to the temple on the eighth day. Uh, you can also find that there are a whole lot of people after they give birth to their kids, they, they don't even want to leave the house sometimes for three months. They don't want the baby exposed to outer air, don't want the baby around anybody, but yet eight days later they had Jesus in the temple and people were lifting the baby up, dedicating it to God and blessing God before, because of the coming of the child. And I've seen people, some of the people that we pastor, I've seen them come directly from the hospital to the church, bring their baby to church. And other people would never, ever even do that. They're too worried about germs or too worried about this or that. But Mary and Joseph said, we're grateful for this child. Let's go to the house of God and offer the offerings. And they did. And they did. With him in the temple, this is where Mary was with Joseph. So don't be someone that is afraid to have the child in the house of God. It's important. It's important for the grandkids to become familiar with the temple, with the house of God, in, in worship and learning about the things of God. It is essential for them to know there's someone that cares about them in the Lord. And this is what they did. Well, in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13, the Lord came to Joseph in a dream and said, I want you to take your wife and your son and go to Egypt because Herod wants to destroy him. Now, here's where we have Mary with her baby in Egypt. It's maternal. It's instinctive. Parents want to protect their children. And moms will stand in front of a wild grizzly bear and lay themselves down and sacrifice their own lives in order to protect their child. It's instinctive. It's just the way that it is. And that instinct doesn't change just because someone gets older and becomes an adult. Mary made the long trip with her husband down to Egypt because Herod wanted to destroy that particular child. She did not want to see God's seed destroyed. She saw her child as a gift. And that's how you should see your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. 
He said, well, Pastor, I don't like the circumstance of how they were born. The baby didn't ask to be here. See, that child is a gift, as a blessing that has come to you. And you have seed now that you can raise up in a godly way. I realize circumstances and, and times have changed. I mean, you know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, even if, if someone had a kid out of wedlock, they didn't oftentimes even have a baby shower for the, for the lady. Or whatever the circumstances might have been. However, that child that comes into this earth is seed to be sown into this world to produce a godly lifestyle. And if you see that child as seed, you can expect a harvest. And the mom will look at that baby and see a seed that I have to protect. And that's what Mary did. Even if it means we've got to go to Egypt. Now, Egypt was a long way back in ancient times. And you said, well, if they were poor, how in the world did they make it to Egypt in the first place? Because God brought all of these shepherds and wise people that came to where they were in Nazareth when Jesus was just a little one, and they brought all of these gifts and laid them at Jesus' feet. And it's with those gifts, with that wealth, that they were able to leave and go down into Egypt and dwell for a season. I think this is the reason we have the tradition today of people wanting to bless people who have children. Just don't abuse people's grace and kindness. I mean, there's some people that, you know, child is born, they want gifts. People get them with different things. Then the child turns one, then they want more gifts. The child turns two, then they want more gifts. The child turns three. They want more gifts. This might go on to someone is 21. Don't abuse the kindnesses and the graces of people. Be happy that anybody would take the time to give because they don't have to give a dime to you. It's your baby. You chose to start a family, to have the kid. So with Mary down in Egypt with her son and with her husband, we discover that Herod wants to kill that baby, and even God's seeking to protect the child. So Herod, Herod is like the culture, the ancient culture, the modern culture that wants to see godly seed utterly destroyed. And moms, you've got to be the buffer between that world and God. Because there's a destructive force in this world, the devil, the powers of darkness trying to destroy a kid. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, think about it. If, if we consider what is light and what is darkness, what is godly, what is ungodly, what do you want your child introduced to when he or she is four or five or six? Herod wants that child destroyed. So what does Herod do? He puts policies in place that allow other people to come into your house and destroy your child. He told his soldiers, go into every home and find every two-year-old and murder the babies. And that's exactly what they did. And so here we are now. And the government says, we want your four-year-olds to learn that a family can consist of two dads and two moms. And people say, well, I, I, I just don't think that it's right for the government to say this or that. Well, they're doing it, they're saying it, and the parents are quiet. 
and the churches are silent, and the preachers don't make any noise at all. What is this slowly but surely doing? Destroying the seed. Destroying the seed. And by the time the child grows up, the kid doesn't know the difference between what is right and what is wrong because there's nothing wrong and everything is right. You say, well, pastor, that's narrow-minded, that's provincial, that's prejudicial. Call it whatever you want. It's still godly. For you to tell your child, you're a boy, you're a girl. Now, certain states don't want you to do that now. And last time I heard, there were states now that didn't want you to put the gender on the birth certificate, nor did they want anything that said mom or dad. They just want to use the phrase parent. What are they doing? Slowly destroying the seed. Changing how we think about children. Changing how we think about rearing them. I mean, after all, your, your son or your daughter may have been born with all the plumbing that says he's a boy, but he may not really be a boy. He may be a girl in a boy's body. That's that Herodian culture that's attacking the seed of God. Other deception, folks. Other deception. I read in the National Geographic here not too long ago where there were at least... 28 definable genders now. That's utter confusion, folks. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19. Have you not read that he that made them made them male and female? There are only two. A mother's natural instinct as a godly person is to protect that seed, to protect that child. And a mother can only live and operate in the light that she has regarding the Word of God. So the more Word of God that is in her heart, the more she can protect that seed and nurture that seed. Same thing with the grandkids. Let's move on to the next one. Luke chapter 2, you can notice in verse 40, it says, The child grew and waxed strong in the spirit and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And the parents went to Jerusalem every year for the feast of Passover. In this instance, Mary is helping to raise Jesus in the word of the Lord, in the fear of God. And we know he was God in the flesh. He was perfect. He had no sin in his life. Every mom would love to raise a child that's sinless. And maybe one or two of you did. But, but the average mother doesn't have a child that doesn't have sin. They give birth to kids like me, filled with mischief. Yeah, filled with mischief. But Mary did everything that she knew to do, and she read the Scriptures, I'm sure, to her son. She made sure that it was his custom to go into the house of God, and that's why later on in his adulthood it said he went to the synagogue. He took the Old Testament scroll and read it, and the Scripture says, as was his custom. Now, I realize some people don't like the idea of you compelling your children and your grandchildren to go to church, but I can tell you right now, church ain't never killed anybody unless it's a really dead church. Unless it's a really bad minister and just got terrible people in the congregation. But families need to be in the house of God. 
and children and grandchildren need to sit and hear the teachings of the Scripture. They need to learn from Sunday school. They need to learn the stories of the Bible to build faith inside of them because God is looking to produce a generation that's going to walk with Him. They've got to have a foundation. There has to be something inside of them, and we can't be silent about that. Some people are lazy. They, they, don't, they don't even want to mention anything about church, and they certainly don't want to compel them to go. But listen, you have much more authority than you realize because it's your home. Now, my mother-in-law, I'll tell you a story about her. She was one of the few in her family that had gone to college, if not the only one. Had gone to college and graduated, so she was a teacher and all of this stuff. But there were a lot of times when family members would get into a jam or some kind of difficulty, and they needed to come live with her for a short time until they got back on their feet to go in whatever direction they were going to go in. And she would always let them know, that's fine. You come stay two weeks, two months, as long as you want. Just know this, however late you're out on Saturday night, and whatever you're doing all week long, Sunday morning, everything in this house goes to church that breathes. Well, of course, that means that family members that were passing through that weren't saved, they made sure their stay was very short because they didn't want to be forced to go to church. Well, here's the thing. People that love God want to go to church. People that don't love God but say it with their mouth and their heart isn't near God. They're not interested in church. But when you wake up in the morning on the Lord's day, it's time to go find a place to worship God if you've got a relationship with Him. And this is how Mary raised Jesus, and she never changed. She had had divine appearances. She had had supernatural occurrences in her life. And to have a mother like that, that's important. Sometimes we get tired of having a mom that talks to us about God. But why would you ever get tired of having a mom that talks to you about God or a grandmother that talks to you about God? I wasn't raised in a Christian house. I don't have memories of my mother talking to me about God as a kid. I have plenty of memories now talking with her about the Lord because she came to know the king after I did. However, I do know that if you had the circumstances of having a mom and a dad that have a relationship with God and you have had an opportunity to be raised by a mom that loves God, You've had advantages because you weren't raised by an alcoholic. You weren't raised by somebody that was a drug addict. You weren't trying to figure out where mom was at all night long because you knew she was at home. She wasn't roaming the streets. You've had a mom that is, that is solid in her relationship with God. You have found stability. And be that kind of stability for the people in your family. Be rock solid. That's what... Young people are needing today. They need an example of what it means to be godly and to be right with the Lord. Well, in Mark chapter 3, Jesus had already started his ministry, and somebody came up to him, and in verse 31 of Mark 3, they said, your mother and your brother are standing out there. They want to see you. 
And Jesus said, Who is my mother and my brother but the one who serves the Lord? Whoever does the will of God is my mother and my brother. Now, what's my point in bringing out that scripture? That here she is following him in his life. She's paying attention to what he's doing now. He's the Messiah. His career is to heal the sick, to preach the gospel. I don't think I've ever met a a mom that wasn't interested in what their kids did after they became adults. Most of them want to know. They're trying to keep in contact, even if the relationship is strained and the mom and the children are, you know, estranged from each other and not talking with one another and there's anger. Somehow or another, that mom is going to be asking siblings or cousins or friends or somebody, how is my child doing? They're interested in that. It's never going to stop. That's part of what's inside of that parent. And even with Jesus doing all the miracles, signs and wonders that he's doing, his mother is standing back watching him. She's been a part of it ever since he got going. Don't forget, in John chapter 2, when Jesus went to the marriage with his disciples, his mother was there. And they ran out of wine, and his mother came to him and said, they're out of wine. And Jesus basically said, what does that have to do with me? But his mother has followed his career and been there with him and observed everything that was taking place. So that's what a good mom will do. She's going to be looking after her seed. I mean, how often did your mom just show up at your house? How often did your mom call to check on you? If she was a godly woman, she would have been interested. She'll be interested. She'll want to know. Sometimes we might think that a mother is intrusive. Sometimes they can be. But the, the, the internal makeup of a mom is to want to know what's going on in your life, even if you don't want them to know. This is just how the king has put it together. Let me give you one more here. And in John chapter 19... We have Jesus at the end of a very profitable and prosperous career, and he's now carried a cross to Calvary. And in verse 25, there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. Think of that. In death, his mother is here. Now, some crosses are difficult. This was a cross he voluntarily took. But moms will be there for their kids in their most painful times. Loss of a job, dissolution of a marriage, sometimes sickness, infirmity, and moms will still be right there, no matter what. I've seen people sometimes that have been terrible towards a mom, but a good mom, a godly mom, is going to be someone that still going to want to be there standing by the cross even when their child is facing something that is giving them excruciating pain. Yeah, there are a lot of there are a lot of parents that have gone into drug houses and had to grab their kids and scoop them up and carry them out, I mean, because they weren't nothing but bones and skin anyhow. Yeah. And there have been plenty of, of moms and dads that have been cussed out by their kids, but yet the moms, they still, they, can, they come right back again. Come right back again. 
over and over again. That's just the way that they're made up. And, and just like Mary, when Jesus was carrying that cross, she's following behind him with all the other women. And, and he turns and he says, you folks shouldn't be weeping for me. He said, you should be crying for yourselves because of what the future holds for all of you. But Mary stayed there watching Jesus, following Jesus, when everybody else had turned away. That's a mom. That's a mom. When everybody else has forsaken you, when everybody else is no longer with you because you don't have the money that you once had, you don't have the friends that you once had, Mama is still going to love you. And that's how Mary was. That's how Mary was. And this is how you should be. Don't ever allow somebody to close the door on you and you have a good relationship. Now you say, well, Pastor, there are moms that aren't necessarily godly and certainly their actions aren't always good towards their kids. I know. I've known parents, I was telling Tiff this just the other night, I've known parents that have have traded their children for a crack pipe. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. And and I've known parents that have worked the streets and sold themselves for money. It's not not godly, certainly not favorable, doesn't produce the kind of model that kids would uh, be interested in. And I've seen some moms that uh, just are not positive, affirming at all in their speech towards their kids. They're always cursing at them, discouraging them in every way. You're never going to amount to anything or lazy or whatever it might be. In situations like that, the Bible tells you to love your enemies. Loving your enemies doesn't necessarily mean you have to endorse, approve, or support the lifestyle or activities of people that are involved with sinful things. But it does mean that you should always be Christian in your decorum. Always be Christian. In all honesty, however bad your parents may have been in sin or how they may be now, you still should guard your tongue. You know my my mom's 86 years old. She has never in her life heard a cuss word come out of my mouth, ever, ever. Now, a lot of moms can't say that. My mom has never heard anything come out of my mouth that even sounded like it was going to be a cuss word. Now, I've disagreed with her. I've raised my voice before, but I've I've never cussed at my mother. I certainly would have never cussed at her or my father because I've been getting up off the floor, even as an adult, I'm sure. But but the bottom line is, I, even when my mother wasn't a Christian and didn't know God, when I was a Christian as a teenager, I still honored her because she was my mother. When I became an adult, I don't have to do what she tells me to do anymore. I'm grown. I make my own decisions, and she lets me know, since you've made your bed, you will now lie in it. And we have to be accountable for how we live. So you take 
what you've learned from mom and dad and how you've been raised, and then you learn the principles of Scripture in order to live a godly life. Because if you don't choose to live a godly life, I can promise you what's going to happen. The road is always going to keep taking you back to the people that are living for God, and you're going to always find yourself in need. And to give some advice like my dad told me one time, he said, son, you're not grown until you can live on your own and pay your own bills. But if we have to pay your insurance and we have to pay your rent and we got to pay what well, then it would have been pagers and we got to pay for all of that, you are not an adult. That's what my dad used to tell me. So to walk with God is to put yourself in a position where you can serve him and the Lord will help you become the kind of parent and Christian that you need to be. And God will do it if that's where your heart is. And if you've got a, a godly mom, a mom that loves you, let her know how much you appreciate her and love her. Because you won't always have her with you. Yeah. There will come a day, like my mom has told me, so many times I wanted to go to that telephone, pick it up, and just hear your grandmama's voice. Yeah. There'll come a time you won't hear that voice. So take advantage of a good relationship that you have and allow God to bless you. Amen? Amen. God's a good God. Uh, our parents are, are, are amazing. Mamas are absolutely adorable. And the, the fact that uh, they can do what they do. I just don't know how in the world my mother ever raised three boys on the east side of Cleveland as bad as we were, you know. The neighborhood, good neighborhood, diverse neighborhood, but every house on my block, to me it seemed like had kids that were the age of my oldest brothers, my middle brother, and me. All of my friends had older brothers that, were, that ran with my older brothers. But, but my mom, she knew how to... Keep me in control. Once the street lights start flickering, she said, you be in this yard or up on this porch. I mean, it didn't matter if I was three blocks away. I'd see them street lights come on. They'd start flickering. They'd say, Daryl. And then if I wasn't in in time, I'd hear my mother's voice three blocks away screaming from the front porch, calling my name. And everybody was just echoing it all throughout the neighborhood to where I was to let me know my mother was calling. Yeah, she, she didn't play. My oldest brother, Anthony, went to a party one night. This is when we weren't even saved. And my mother wasn't a Christian. Anthony went to a party one night. A girl had tricked him into coming to this house party. When he got there, he was surrounded by all these guys that wanted to jump him. And somehow or another at that party, he got to a telephone and called home. And my mom put my older brother Rick and me in the car got the shotgun, drove over there to the house party. Everybody's out in the yard. People are inside the house. And my mom walked right up into that house with the shotgun, got her boy, and walked out. And we got in the car and drove home. That's the lady that raised me. So when I say I was raised without the benefit of a godly heritage, I know it to be true, but I also know I was raised by a mother that loved her kids. And she was not going to let anything happen to her kids if she could help it. Let's stand. Yeah.
if I can see it now, these ladies are going home. They're going to shine up that shotgun. <laughs> Better watch it, Dennis. <laughs> Hide that key from Ruth. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to you folks. Can't tell you how much we appreciate you, but I would like us this morning to pray uh, for all the mamas. We don't, you know, always do this, but I do want us to do that uh, today. Uh, so quickly, if Barry, you can find us a song or something. I'd just like all the ladies to just come stand.